Hi. Hey guys, my name is Chanel Perillo, and I'm a casting director and producer based in Los Angeles. I've cast shows like Drag Race, F Boy Island, The Real Housewives franchise, and Million Dollar Listing, to name a few. I want to welcome you to Shut Up Chanel, a podcast where I take you through my LGBTQIA journey, while each week I get to chat with the queer royalty that helps shape me. Buckle up, because I know you're going to want to tell me to shut up. Oh my god, welcome to the stage. Oh my God, I have my sister, reality TV personality, trans icon, performer, actress, known for her third season on RuPaul's Drag Race, Drag You, as well as being a trans rights activist. We have Carmen motherfucking Carrera. Hi, (laughs) how are you? I'm good, how are you? You look so beautiful. Thank you. Well, actually... You guys are in bed with me right now. Oh my God. In bed with Carmen. I've always wanted yeah. to be. <laughs> I feel like it's like, it's the season, you know, it's like cozy. It's like, you know, the fall, winter, like, yeah, why not? I love it. Where are you coming to us from? So I'm actually in LA right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What are yeah. you doing here? A couple of projects. So the writer's strike is over. Woohoo. And- yeah, thank God. And literally, like the day after the strike was over, I got these three jobs. And so I'm shooting a film, well, part of a film, a TV show, a competition show, and a sizzle reel for something for something else. Oh my God, she's working. Yeah. She's working. Of course. <laughs> of course. You know, I'm a hustler. I always make things happen with, you know, the smallest opportunities. I try to make expand on them. You know, you have to. Totally. Well, okay. So I started this podcast because I kind of like really just wanted to like go back to the beginning of like when I kind of my like LGBTQIA plus journey began. And it really started on the set of Drag Race when I met you. So I, I want to start with like, how did we meet? How did we meet? Give me your story. So I remember meeting you on set and I felt like you were probably the only person on set that I trusted because we were all like conspiracy theorists. Like we thought that everyone was plotting against everyone and not even just the contestants, but like the production people, the producers, the writers, like every, we were just like, it was a bit much. Like they even had to like call it to our attention. Like, Hey guys, like there's no conspiracy theory here. Like we're literally like, piecing the show together as we go. Cause we swore that like, you know, the producers knew what every single contestant's outcome was going to be. So like, we were trying to like figure it out. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, like you were probably the only one that I trusted on set, but then also I was trying to work you for information. So <laughs> totally. I mean, like part of me also knew that, like I knew that like people were being nice to me because I made them feel safe and they felt like if they were like, I could get things done for them kind mm-hmm. of thing. Or I would like have the, like, look out for you. I do yeah. remember the conspiracy theories though. Like, wasn't there a conspiracy theory that like, like people's like rooms, like there was like, um, you know how like you get the, the bill at the end of yeah. the day and like the hotel mm-hmm. had like fucked up a couple like and it honestly was an accident but it like started this whole conspiracy theory where like every night everyone was like check under your doors like did you get one and so yeah what was another conspiracy theory you had well I think it was not just me but like I just remember having conversations like when I would go to like either like Sutan's room or Manila's room like we would always try to plot and see like who were they who were they trying to get rid of next And like, if a challenge was made specifically for a queen to like, you know, do bad on, (laughs) like that was, so I was always trying to like figure that out. You know, I didn't really have a strategy back then. I would say like, we were pretty, 
I don't want to say naive, but we were more like on the genuine side because there really was no formula to like doing the show. Like I feel like now there's sort of like this template, you know, that makes it a little bit easier navigating that process. But for us, it was just like super organic and like we didn't know what to expect. We didn't know what was, you know, what was supposed to be or like what, you know, the viewers even wanted. Like we were just there trying to figure it out piece by piece, you know, so. So, yeah. No, like that. I mean, season three really kind of season two, season three, season four. Like those are the seasons that really wrote the blueprint. Mm-hmm. That's why it's so historical. And that's what's so crazy is because we were living in the moment, not realizing that we were like a part of this moment. <laughs> yeah, I would have never thought that they'd be on like season 15. You know, that's crazy. Like back in season three, it was still it was still such a I felt like it was still such a small like sense of like like there was a there was something special you know Mm -hmm. about it because finally the community had representation on television it was something that we can all aspire to like something that you know because before that it was just being in the nightclubs and everything that came with that Mm -hmm. and we were still not at a point in society where you know, people were even exposed to like drag and like what it was like. I remember back then I was still bringing my straight friends to the gay club for the first time to even see what a drag show is about, you know? So that was like definitely during that time, you know? So it was cool that it was like going to be on TV and it was like something new, something fun and like a true representation of like the club kids. Cause we were the club kids like that. We were the club scene, you know, cause after drag race came about, And then COVID happened, it was like, there really is no scene anymore, you know? It's different. It's so, Mm -hmm. that's and like, that's the thing is like, you all were hand plucked from the club to Mm -hmm. drag race. Where now it's like, some of these queens like haven't, like haven't even been in a drag show and they audition, you know what I mean? And you can get good. And you can get good from like watching online and all this stuff, but it's just, Mm -hmm. you were like, cause I remember the stories that you had of like Esqualita. I'll, I'll, let me pull it back a little. So I remember one, you're my final Heather that I've had on, I finally got all the Heathers on the podcast, which is so exciting. (laughs) Yes. I was at the birth of the Heathering. I literally, I remember it was, it was maybe, it was seated at the hotel. I remember the four of you were hanging out and you were like, this is my interpretation and how I remember it. So correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember that like there were like, there's natural grouping when you're on a set. It's like going to camp. You like, you find your posse and you kind of stick with them. And Mm -hmm. the Heathers were always together. And I remember, like, I just remember I don't remember the whole story and I should have asked like the rest of the Heathers to tell this story. But I remember that one night it was like, oh, they're boogers and we're like the Heathers. And then and I was like, this is brilliant. And I didn't even know what the Heathers was, by the way. I like went home that night, I think, and watched the Heathers. (laughs) And and I was like and I knew it was like some 80s cult film. But I remember the next day being like, I have to tell the story producers this because I remember like hearing it at the hotel. And mm-hmm. I thought it would like make me look good I, if I like had story for the story producer. So like, yeah. Yeah. and I was like, listen, so those four have been those, f- wait, no, it was three of you? Four. Four of you, four of you. Those four of you, <laughs> the four of them have been hanging out and like calling like Shangela and the other group of Queens boogers and they call themselves the Heathers. And remember like before you would go in the workroom every morning, we would like get you in a good mood and we'd be like what are you guys going to talk about when you walk right in and I think that's when like a producer came up to you and was like you guys should bring up that you guys are the Heathers do you remember what what do you remember yeah so okay so me and Manila knew each other from New York we weren't like close friends but we were friendly like there was a lot of queens there still is there still are a lot of queens in New York City but at the time that I was performing and Manila was performing we were like the newer kids you know like we kind of like had already made a name for ourselves in the scene. So we're we're kind of from the same class, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So we were already friendly. And Raja and Delta were friends. So what happened was Manila and Raja clicked. So that's what kind of brought us all together. And it was actually Manila's idea about the Heathers, because Manila's older than me, and so is Raja. So I was just like, what's the Heathers? Like, <laughs> I didn't even know what that was, because I was raised more on like, 
Clueless, The Craft, like those were like my movies like that I was like I'm totally one of them you know like Mm -hmm. so I didn't know about the Heathers myself and then Manila let me know like what was it about and the gist of it and I was like oh okay I get it that's pretty dope and the term booger is something it's like that's actually an old school drag term and it's just you know I want to be nice because like you know it, it, now that I think I'm a little okay more let's just now, say so let's just say mean- for the record this was this was 13 over like 15 I was like 25 years old 24 years old we're the same age by the way like were you born in 86 85 okay so we're like from the same class yeah exactly so honestly like the whole thing back because look around season three drag was all about looking like a woman feminine beauty you know and that was pretty much what everyone was going for at the time you know I I even think if if you can go back to season one of Drag Race you could even see that the judges were sort of commenting about you know I don't remember which drag it was but it was like oh she doesn't even look like a woman you know what I'm saying like Mm -hmm. that was kind of like a sign of the times back then Mm -hmm. so booger was a term that you would address to someone who you know doesn't look very feminine or put together or doesn't put that much effort in being glamorous and high glamour and and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. that's where the booger term came from. Yeah. So that <laughs> it was and a reality I, I... <laughs> competition show. Like, of course, you know, like, and yeah. I, I, it was a little mean, girl. Like, we weren't being shady, though. We were just, we were just being we were just busting balls exactly you know? it wasn't like we weren't being like ruthless or like purposely mean to hurt anyone's feelings Mm-mm. although i know that that probably hurts people's feelings but that wasn't really our intention it was just a competition like we were just trying to like separate ourselves and maybe we were a little bit elitist but that was only because that's what you needed to be in order to succeed at the time in the scene you know we had no social media connecting us we really had no language and we really didn't have you know, we were coming from a time that it was, we're experiencing a lot of lack and like only, you know, but so much space for so many performers. It wasn't like this big, broad, expanded mindset of, you know, individuality and expression. We didn't really have that. It was kind of like a rigid, you know, template of like how you should present. And that's, you know, what made us successful. That's what helped us succeed. So, you know, just to, I just want to make sure people know that it's not like we were just wanting to be mean. It was just kind of like it was what we were used to back then. Exactly. And like raised mm-hmm. on movies like Drop Dead Gorgeous and stuff and like pageant world where it's like people are yeah. ruthless, you know, like. The old yeah, it's cutthroat. Like- it's either it's either you're in or you're out. It's, it's nothing personal. It's just you're either good or you're bad. You're either making me feel something. You're either making me want to be like work. Yes. Or just like. Eh, you know and that's it it was just very cut and dry there was really no ever like emotions put into it mm-hmm. like that you know yeah I hear cis people say booger now too and I'm always like oh my god it is <laughs> we started it, it, it is its way <laughs> even like it's it's so crazy what does what does it feel like now looking back on your experience on drag race well, honestly, I was very intentional because I knew I was going to transition. So I did drag race on purpose so I could look back and be like, oh, like, look at me like as a kid or whatever. And and that's what it feels like now when I look back, I just smile because like I love my full experience, like me as a trans person, you know, and me as a woman now, it's like I don't try to like hide my past. Like I was very intentional about like transitioning and being able to look back at my whole life as in its entirety and be proud of every step of the way. So I look back at it and I'm just like, you know, like my tenacity is what got me where I am now. And like that person that I was back then, it's, you know, it has a special place in my heart. It's like, if you look back at your, like, I don't know, like school recitals or like a school play, you know, or like you look back at you playing a sport and you watch the videos and you see how excited you are or whatever, like, it's kind of the same feeling. Like, I feel nostalgic, I guess, sometimes about it. Like, when I, I even have some of my old costumes still, and I'm just like, oh, that's cute. I remember, like, us taught, like, there were, like, hints. Like, and especially because I, like, on the last episode with Kylie, like, I expressed to her, like, she was the first trans person I had ever met 
and it, it was on the season two reunion and and I was still learning a lot like I was just beginning to understand drag and then and so like I felt like there was like little hints where I think like you would tell me something like your boobies were like coming in uh-huh. and like you stopped hormones or something like where were you at yeah. in, your, in your transition when you did drag race and I do have so, like one hilarious memory about you <laughs> fingering yourself um, in front of me. Well, this is the thing. So my drag was always inspired by the trans performers in the show. You know, I always wanted to like emulate that level of femininity because I would I would see other drag performers and it didn't stir anything up, any inspiration inside of me whatsoever until I got to know that the trans side of the showgirl, you know, aesthetic that's what really inspired me to like want to be on stage and like really remember parts of, you know, my childhood where I was like, I wish I was a girl, you know, like I kind of suppressed that for the most part until drag kind of like allowed me to have a safe space. So I, I knew a lot of trans performers and, you know, they explained to me the process of transitioning and explained to me what my body would go through. And I was under the impression that you couldn't be on drag race if you were on hormones or transitioning, like I know that it was never mentioned contractually, but I felt like there was like this unsaid rule that like you couldn't be, I don't know where that came from exactly, but I just knew on a subconscious level that, you know, it wasn't something that I can be open and talk about. And so when I got the audition and when I got the call, like, Oh, you're going to be on the show. I was like, I cannot tell anybody at all. But I knew, like I had my medication waiting for me. You know, like I knew that I was going to start. And I don't know if you remember, but there was a break. We had like a two week break in filming. I think we filmed like one or two episodes and then they sent everyone back home. (laughs) And then we had to come back two weeks later. And during those two weeks was like, I was so tempted to start taking my hormones, but I was just like afraid because what happens if like I was in a girl breast, like on set, I don't know how long we were going to be there for. So I had started taking testosterone blockers because I knew that that wasn't going to feminize me necessarily, but it was going to like, cause I was, I was 25 at the time. So I was like, listen, like I got to make a decision now. Like I was mm-hmm. in a, I was not in a rush, but like I had a sense of urgency, like, okay, am I going to transition or not? So I started taking testosterone blockers and then during those two weeks. And then when we came back, I was like, okay, I I can't, I shouldn't take this anymore because, you know, I don't know, like what happens if I get caught? Like, you know, I was like scared, which is so so crazy to think about now. Yeah. I was nervous. Like I was really, really scared. Like I, I felt like I was going to be disqualified or I felt like, you know, I don't know. Like I just, I was like really scared. So I remember once a couple of girls got like eliminated, I got started to get real comfortable. And like, I told, I think it was maybe around the time that it was before, like I got sent home and came back. It was like one episode before that. And I was in Manila's room and with Raja. And I remember like, it was just a mess. Like there was just like a whole bunch of drag like everywhere. You know how it always is when we hang now, out. Wait, are you talking about like the that main room that we would all hang out in? No, it was in. I think it was in Raja's room, and we were sitting on her bed, and she just had like all her stuff everywhere. Mm-hmm. And so I was just like, "Hey guys, okay, I have to tell you something," because I just couldn't keep it in anymore. And then yeah, and then once I told the girls, it kind of like carried on set. Like I would just be more. It would kind of just like come out like things like that like oh my boobs are sore like my nipples are tingling or like stuff like that because you like felt yeah. more comfortable now that like you had told them yeah plus like half the girls were gone already so i was like all right i'm fine if they send me home now i'll be happy because <laughs> i wasn't really going there to win i just wanted to go there to just like to have a time capsule of my experience you know like i wasn't in there like to be competitive and like you know what I'm saying? Like be strategic or anything. I was just like innocently, like, I just want to do my best, have, you know, my drag be documented, be able to go back home, people to be proud of me. Mm -hmm. And that's it. Because I knew once I got home, once I stepped off that plane, my life was going to change, you know, like I knew it. So I was like, at least I'll have some memory, you know, to go back to just to remember, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm how do you look how do you look back at it now though like do you do you, do yeah you yourself like 
I, the thing is that like, I'm always going to be the same person, no matter what I go through in life, you know, like I'm never, I'm always going to be the same person. So I just, I carried that experience close to my heart. And I'm happy that that is my drag race experience is something that is profound and it means something to me. It's not something where I went on a reality competition show and it ruined my life or, you know, it made me a evil person. Like, no, like that experience um, helped bring, you know, helped sort of bridge those two chapters of my life together, you know, like before my transition and then after, because right after that, was when like my transition really, I think it was like a year later, which, you know, a year after filming is still only the first pride after the show airs. Cause we filmed it, We I don't know what they do now, but we filmed it in the summer. It aired in January. And so by the time the summer came back around for pride, I was already like a year into my transition. My hair had grown out. Like I was already like where I needed to be in order to start you know, wanting to get my boobs done and like stuff like that. Like, so I am. Oh my God. I want to know what, what challenges have, like what have been the biggest challenges of post drag race? Because I, I feel like I remember this period of your life where there was this like disconnect from like the gay scene. Because I don't think a lot of people talk about that either. Is like when you transition, like you're, you know, you're like, it's your girlhood moment. And so like, mm -hmm. I feel like it's like, there is this sense of like pulling back from the LGBT community. Can you like, can, yeah. I, I feel like that's like a topic no one really ever talks about. Yeah, totally. So, um, so for me, you know, it, it happened in like phases, right? So I was like, I was out there, I was performing, I was doing a lot. I transitioned and I was open with that on my social, but I didn't plan on, you know, to stop performing ever. You know, I I didn't even realize that I was going to take any time away from the LGBT community. It's not something that I thought about when I was transitioning. Mm -hmm. It sort of just happened. I I did the show, was on tour. I thought I was always going to be on tour until I decided to speak out about certain things that I didn't agree with. Mm -hmm. And it was just sort of tied in with what the what ha was happening with the trans movement. And so once I got asked to get photographed by Steven Meisel, and then I got elite, you know, they signed me as the first trans model. Then it was the Victoria's Secret petition that sort of took me away from drag even more with the backlash I was getting because mm -hmm. I was speaking out about trans issues on the show. And so it was a culmination of all of those things. And what really pushed me, like, I guess, into another realm outside of the community was my separation and my divorce. Because I was honestly planning on being married to the same man that I was with before my transition and just being a trans drag performer like that was gonna be my life that's what well, I was you like were, that's you were a stepmom like I knew you as like yeah. in the mom <laughs> like yeah yeah like stepmommy during the day and you know drag queen by night like you know I wanted to be one of the trans performers that I would see at the drag show and you know I had that for a little while but you know God's plan like things it was like a roller coaster and so when I, when me and my ex-husband separated, I had to live on my own and I didn't know how to be like a woman in the world. I just knew how to be, you know, stepmom and like part-time drag queen and Carmen Carrera from Drag Race. But those options had ran out, you know? So now I was like, who am I? <laughs> like, mm -hmm. who am I? <laughs> and so I had to really like, learn the ropes like from I felt like I was like a toddler you know and I had to like really learn how to function on my own two feet and be strong and I didn't really have that much time to like really enjoy my transition because I didn't I didn't have any privacy like I was already a public figure mm -hmm. and people wanted to know at the time like what's it like to be trans and I'm just like I don't know like I'm just figuring it out you know so I took a couple of years to to find myself and to find a way in the world. And, you know, that's what led to like the acting and led to other modeling opportunities because, 
you know, I was a little scared to like go back to like performing in drag and having to deal with those scary people that wanted to like, you know, have my neck like over me critiquing the show. Like, so, you know, it helped me. It worked in my favor because now at this point in my life, like I'm a strong woman without any of those things, without a man, without, you know, a, a high profile job, without any of those things, I can still be and function and be happy, you know? And so now when I do work and when I do perform, you know, I'm, I'm with somebody new now, it's like, I have a better sense of who I am on my own and I can offer a little bit more now. Whereas before it was like, I felt like I was running empty all the time. Like I really didn't have anything to give besides my soul. Because like, you know, when you're on, when, when you're on TV, it's like, people want to know everything about you, mm-hmm. you know? And I really didn't have anything because I was, it was still so new, you know? And, and yeah, so it was a lot look, to go. But look, but- you like, you spoke out and now like, look at the show, you know? So it's like, yeah. it sucks like being it's always like the the first person to say something something always like gets the most shit and then eventually mm-hmm. it evolves and it's like why were we ever mad at that person when they were right in the first place <laughs> yeah no totally i i honestly just think that people were more upset because and then my ego would get triggered you know because they'd mm-hmm. be like like how dare you say anything like you you know you should be so grateful and and I'm like, I am grateful, but I also believe that we should treat these people with more respect. Like, why can't, like, why should I have to kiss someone's butt as they oppress the people that inspired me? You know, I, w- I was like in a very unique situation and I wasn't really going to get any clarity anyways. Like, I-, I felt like no matter what I would say, it wasn't going to be agreeable to all people. So, Yeah. Eventually, I just kind of gave up, like, arguing and stuff. I'm like, you I know mean, what? that was kind of at the beginning of Twitter, too, when, like, Twitter was, like... Ugh, it was so bad. <laughs> no, it was it was really bad. And, like, I, rem- I even have, like, um, I was, you know, it was funny because I was making a vlog. And my manager at the time, no name, we won't say any names, but my but manager... But I do remember the vlogs <laughs> you were making. Okay, keep going. Yeah, I was, so I was making, it just so happened I was making a vlog. And my manager at the time called me and I was like, oh, let's pick it up. And I picked up the phone call and we go right into the issues of Drag Race, RuPaul, the producers and all that stuff. And he just basically said, oh, Carmen, I wish you would have never spoken out because now A, B and C things are like this. And this is what this is. And this is what that is. And they're never going to change their mind about this and never going to change their mind about that. And I was just like, oh, I just got this on tape by mistake, you know, but, you know, it, it was, I felt like it was a lot to, to go through, to like experience. But at the same time, like you said, look at how the show is set up now. And the public has still supported me. I still have people from Drag Race that are like, I still love you, Carmen. And like, you know, they're loyal. So I'm sort of grateful for everything all around because I'm a stronger person now. It would have never happened if I would have just been like a favorite and just been, you know, complacent with the life that I was living before. Because, you know, like now it's like I have so much more to experience and be happy about than what I had before. Yeah. And no, yeah. it totally makes sense. And like no regrets because it's like, it's, no, would you no. rather would you let, rather look back now 15 years later and be like, damn, like I wish I would have said something back then. You know what I mean? And you could be great. You could like everything is in black and white. I'm learning slowly, but like, <laughs> like you could be grateful and want to stand up for trans rights because trans women have been in the drag show from the beginning, like from the beginning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's drag like you know from the beginning so it's like drag should have always been included but it takes one person to start speaking about it you know what I mean and I think Mm -hmm. there was always a wiggle woggle of like let's get the show off the ground first and then you know but it's like but you have a voice and you you should have spoken up for yourself you know what I mean 
Yeah, I mean, honestly, I I just wanted it to be like well, how I was used to seeing the shows back home. Like when I would go watch a drag show at Escuelita or at any of these places, you would have the like the cast come out, do a group number. Then you'd have a campy, big campy drag queen that would do like the best jokes and the best hosting. And then you would have like a variety show. And then the closing number was this like goddess, like trans woman, like, you know, beautiful breasts and body and like would really embody like high glamour femininity mm -hmm. and that would leave people with their jaws open you know like oh my gosh like what did I just witness and then it would be the end of the show and then the, the music would come on and everybody would dance and have a great time and that's what I was used to like for years so then to go into the drag race realm and be like felt limited you know to what the reality actually is was for me I was like I have to stand up and speak for someone you know because to be honest with you I never really fought for my it wasn't like I was like I guess I was fighting for myself because I'm trans but in reality I was fighting for everybody else because it wasn't working working for me at the time to like question authority or like question the way we that were young. Work. We were young you're not questioning people at 25 you're like just trying to like make a name for yourself yeah, exactly. And like at the time, like I was genuinely just trying to like fight for everybody else, you know, and so I guess it worked. Took a little while, but it worked. Now we have like Sasha Colby and we have like, I mean, Kylie, like so many amazing trans performers are able to like give a lot of the girls that are trans that work at the clubs now hope that they can actually achieve something better and something more, which was what my intention was in the first place. So it worked out. There you go. See, <laughs> uh, you were the first um, performer I saw that would put appliques on their body. Yeah. In my you, face. you would be like, this is my costume. And it would be like your little Ziploc with like your appliques. That's what they're called, right? Yeah. yeah. Pasties, appliques. Yeah. Well, I think of those, like those ones you used to wear that were like, they were like pearl. Like there was like pearls mm -hmm. all over them. Was Escalita yeah. your like first like was that your like starting spot i kind of want to know like i know you uh, i know we're both from new jersey but i kind of want to know like what brought you to new york and i also remember you doing like you were a makeup artist i have all these like fun facts in my head like i remember you telling me you like painted j-lo and you were the first person to teach me the three like this was before contouring like yeah <laughs> yeah i um so i never i wasn't able to paint j-lo I was, I was studying to be a photographer okay. and I got an opportunity to photograph her on the set of a movie that she did with Mark Anthony called El Cantante, right? Mm -hmm. And from there, I was able to be open about me doing drag. And then Mark Anthony had contracted me to be J-Lo for her 40th birthday party. So that was like the J-Lo thing. But I was a makeup artist. That was my start while I was going to school for photography. And then I started doing drag in Connecticut and Hartford. I would drive all the way up to Hartford to play at the polo club. And then I would go to Escalita to perform. So I sort of, Escalita was my home bar where I first, that was the first gay club I ever went to. I had to like go through the ranks. Like I had to go do like a diva search, like an amateur show, like at Escalita even knowing the management and everything, it never got me into the show. It was a very prestigious booking, a Saturday night show booking. It was not like anyone could just go. Mm -hmm. And so I, I had done that. I turned it into a business. Like I would do all the amateur shows in the entire like area. So I'd go Connecticut, Pennsylvania, Jersey, New York, Washington, DC, like the whole thing. And I would take all the Carreras with me and you know, you would win by audience applause. So I already brought all my girlfriends with me. <laughs> so so we, would just, we would just alternate. So like one night I'm performing and then the next night you, this one's going to perform. And now, and then we're just all going to cheer and we're just going to keep winning until we could get like actual bookings. Mm -hmm. So we did that for a little while until finally I got like my Saturday at Escalita and, you know, and then the rest was history. Cause then not too long after, maybe like a year after was when I did Drag Race. Oh my God. I mm -hmm. I was so excited to go to Escalita for my first time because you guys had talked talked about it so uh, much. For the kiddos listening that have never been or to listeners that have never been to Escalita, like explain it, explain, like describe. So Escalita was, uh, it was the place to be. We used to call it Esco's. And basically it was all of like the, 
like, I guess Latino, like urban influenced people. Like we all were like swaggy. Like we had like really dope outfits. They played a lot of Latin music, hip hop and R&B music. And it was just where everybody would go to, to like show off. And like, it wasn't just like the regular gay scene that was more like the white gays. Like when you would go, it'd be like, everyone has their t-shirt off type of party. Like it was just a different scene. Like it was more trendy in a sense of like, like, uh, like hip hop Latino type of vibe, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, but in it, but it was like, really, it was like one of the most popular clubs at the time. So, and then we, they had an amazing drag show and, you know, everybody lived for the trans girls and, yeah, it was just, it was just so much fun. And we would, it was downstairs, like at this, I guess it was, a, they call it the basement club, but I felt like they were being shady, but you go down the stairs and it was like 20 bucks to get in and it was $10 for drinks. And they were like this tiny and like little so tiny, little, like little tiny cups. Uh, it was such a rip off. Thank God. Cause I didn't, I think is that I couldn't afford to pay like every week to go there. So I got a job as a photographer because I was in college Mm -hmm. and the club owner had a crush on me before my transition. He had like this big crush on me. I sort of like worked the system so that I would just like not pay to get in and not pay for any drinks. And I would just get to know the community by taking their picture. Like I was always like the picture person, like the photographer person. Mm -hmm. And I would get paid to be there. I can't believe you were a club photog. Yeah, that's how I was. Because that was like my excuse to get close. I didn't know any gay people. Like, I didn't know any anyone. Like, I was coming from a small town in Jersey to the big city of New York to, like, find myself, essentially, to, like, learn who gay people are. Because the examples of gay people that I was exposed to and trans people that I was exposed to was, like, you know, Jerry Springer and, like, just the thing. Like It was, like, the thing that nobody wanted you to be. Like, you know, it was it was, like don't talk about gay stuff like that. It was just like, not cool, you know? So I went to New York and I was like, I need to find my people, you know? And and I did. What was your childhood like? My childhood was, my childhood was amazing. Actually. I don't, I really don't have any childhood trauma necessarily besides the fact that like my father passed away when I was two years old. So I grew up with my mom and my sister and my grandmother, like super nurturing environment. Um, my mom never like imposed masculinity on me. She never really critiqued me for being anything. Like she just wanted me to like have a good life and, you know, get my education. And I was like the favorite, like the baby of the house, you know, like I, I was raised with really good morals and I was raised with people that were giving me great advice. You know, it gave me like the good heart that I have. It gave me the positive spirit that I have, but you know, when, when you are very like sheltered and nurtured, what you want to do is like go out and like rebel, you know, and like be opposite of that, you know? So I guess I, I still carry that, you know, and I'm grateful for that. But at the same time, I'm sort of happy that like, I decided to go out in the city and like find, you know, what the world was about. You know, I learned a lot. Oh my God. Where are you at now? Where are you living at these days? So I live in Miami now. Yes, I was living in LA for a couple of years and I just, I couldn't do it. It was hard for me in LA because LA is not a social place. It's not like you go out and catch a vibe like that. You know, it's people are a little bit more standoffish. I think I told you that one night I was like, like this, like straight bars, like don't get fun till midnight. Like everyone just stands around and looks at each other. And then like at like 12.01, everyone gets a personality and that's when like guys come up to you and finally want to talk to you. And I'm like, I've been here all night. Like, yeah. Like I, I need something that's more alive. I feel like LA is just a little bit too dead for me. Like, you know, you're such a Miami girl. Like when you told me moving there, I was like, you're Miami. Yeah. Like when you go out in Miami, it's like the streets are alive, honey. You're going to find fun people everywhere you go. Like it just makes me smile because I love people so much. And so, like, it's just you're, here in L.A., it's hard to find. Like, you'll find cute people, but they're kind of hard to find. And then sometimes when you do find them, they're out of reach, you know? So it's like, ugh, it gets frustrating. Like, date, dating here was frustrating. It was so lonely for me. Like, it was hard to find real friends because everybody knew who I was as Carmen Carrera, you know? Like, and it was hard to find the humanity 
in people here because everyone's focused on their work and being a star or working for one or whatever it is that it was all a lot of smoke and mirrors. And so in Miami, people are beautiful, fun and happy and free for no reason. And that's what I love the most. And there's culture and there's food and there's options. And, you know, if I get bored, I can just like take a walk to the beach and it's a party like in uh, a big one too. Like there's just a lot of people you know, that will give you compliments for no reason. Like, hey, mommy, you're looking good. Like, whatever. You know, and I kind of like, I like that. It reminds me of New York, except we're at the beach. It is. It's like a coastal New York. Yeah. And it's like tropical. Like, you get the weather. It's like makes your skin soft and luscious and beautiful. And it's just for me as a woman to develop my strength and my character. You know, I don't want to be a timid woman. Like, to be a trans woman, you have to be strong. But at the same time, I don't want to subscribe to being a trans woman and having that over my head 24 hours a day. I also just want to be a girl that has nothing to do with like anything personal. Like I just want to be able to swim amongst everyone else and still, you know, have a good time and be me and be myself and not have to like hide, you know, and like, oh, be all timid and shy because like I haven't developed my character, you know? So Miami has given me that, that safe space and now it's like, I'll let, I'll tell anybody like, Hey dude, like I'm trans. Like, it's like, I'm, you know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm more confident in that now because I have found, you know, a place where I can give nuance to my experience. And it's not something that is so, it's not so like weird out there. There's so many trans girls out there. It's like very obvious, like, and people are not going to hate on anyone for it. They're just like, well, everyone's here, you know, cause they're there for vacation or they're there to party. So it's like, you know, it's, it's, they're less like with a stick up their ass, you know? That kind of bring, I did want to like, issue, I, do you remember that one time you came and stayed with me at, <laughs> when I lived in Raj, I, when I moved into Raj's apartment, you came and stayed with me one weekend and you posted this video. <laughs> I think it was called Chanel's transphobic. <laughs> 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 at the time, at the yeah. time, I was like, what is she talking about? I'm not transphobic. <laughs> like, she's staying with me. No. Like, no, for like, the no. record. But looking no, for back, the, okay. For, for the, the record, record, you're not transphobic. And I think that what you were expressing was more for my own safety, you know? Because, I mean, again, it's a sign of the times. At the time, you know, the trans topic was something that was like, not as widely accepted or people were not as educated about it. And so, yeah, like there was a time that, you know, as a trans woman, you couldn't always go out everywhere and be around just anyone because there's a lot of ignorant people out there. And a lot of the fear that I used to have from, you know, to go to straight clubs and stuff like that was coming from that period of time, mm -hmm. you know, where you felt fair. like there was, there was this under, like the fact that you, that's why what, spurred that memory was you saying like I have no problem like telling a guy I'm trans now like that you know what I mean because I remember at the time that's why like it, okay so for the listeners listening I Carmen was staying with me and I was getting ready to go on a date with this guy and she was like girl can I just come and I was like oh like I don't know if I want to like explain everything and like first of all but now I'm so like younger like I would never say that now you know what I mean like but that was a younger version of me and that's why I wanted to address this because I feel like it could educate people but that's also how things just were mm -hmm. and I was like mm -hmm. I kept going like Carmen like I, it's nothing it's not that you're trans and like uh, and but that's how it was then and it was like I was I was concerned like I didn't want because you were like I'll just I'll just go into it being like passing like we don't need to say anything and and, yeah. and so it was this like debate back and forth where I was like no but I would want you to say something but I don't want to deal with drama from like st scary straight dudes you yeah know what I mean um, mm -hmm. and now looking back like fuck that I don't need to hang out with anyone that I would need to explain anything to yeah me. but you know what to be honest with you and maybe this is me being a little like very like self judgy but like I back then I was in no position like I was not prepared anyways because like after that me going out like on my own 
you know, like I was exposed to a lot of things that I wish I was not exposed to when it came to the trans topic. And like, you know, there was a lot of girls that I met that we would go and like be stealth, you know, without necessarily being strong in like who we were, you know, so it was just a different time back then. Like it was also like way more dangerous because when you're dealing with someone who's uneducated and ignorant, you know, and it's like a trans thing, it it shifts the whole experience of the night. I remember like it makes things not fun, you know, like it's like the minute that like I remember like going out with my girls back then, like the minute one of them knew that we were trans or that if they spooked us or whatever, it it just the vibe was killed. It was over. And that sucks. Like, I remember that. But see, like now nobody could fuck with me because like I am the vibe. So like when when people approach me and I'm open about my transness, if they're being hateful or being whack or whatever, it's like I'm taking the vibe with me and leaving. I'm not dependent on anybody's vibe. Like I am the vibe. You know what I'm saying? Like exactly. Like, like I don't need I don't need you. Like <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I do not need you to like because it was more about validation back then too. Mm-hmm. You know, we were young. And- like. That, and that's, I was going out for, for validation, ex- external validation, the same thing, you know what I mean? And I think yeah, I, I, even, I was like, I'm trying to get laid. <laughs> yeah. Because honestly, like that was, I think, I think that goes to show you like where we were not only with trans topics, but also like just how women, you know, what the society was back then. Like I, I remember those days, you know, it was all about catering to the guy, you know, and now it's like, not like that at all. You know, all like if I'm going out, it's because like I'm I'm in a good mood and like I'm going out for myself. Um, And it's a privilege for these guys to talk to us now. It's not like, you know, we've got to like play to their like BS, you know, hell no. I think I mean, I think it's because I it was like I was watching like I was watching you go through your own puberty, if you will. Oh, totally. Yeah, I, I, I think not enough people talk about that, too, like. Like, it boggles my mind that people think that you should wait to transition. Like, like mm-hmm. that's so like, that's so weird to me, because like you said, like you were 25, you were like, let's get this going now. Like, do you mm-hmm. feel like if you would have transitioned earlier than like going into womanhood would have been easier or like, I'm curious what you think about um, that. No, you know, I think maybe possibly because I would have been better prepared but I'm you know it's it's really weird that I say this too because I don't know if anybody would get offended but you know when people when they bring up the topic of like kids transitioning mm-hmm. you know it's like if I had a 16 year old kid that wanted to transition I would be more lenient on the side of no but if I was a 16 year old and like I would have wanted to transition at 16. Mm-hmm. So I don't really know. Yeah, I, I don't really know how to answer that question because I, I don't know. I don't know what that says about me, but it's like, that's just because I, like now that I transitioned, like to have a child of mine that wants to transition would be really hard because I know what I went through, but maybe my life w- would have been different. And my experiences would have been different had I transitioned at 16 and would have been home, you know, to transition. And maybe my life would have been a little bit different. But luckily for me throughout my transition, like once I had gotten separated from my husband and I was like basically back home, my mom and my family, like, you know, taught me the rope, helped to teach me the ropes. Like my mom taught me how to cook, like the women in my family cook and our traditions and our values and our views. My mom helped me to like find a partner and I'm not like find a partner, but it was just like my best friend throughout that process of like separating, being single again, all the emotions. And like that really helped me heal but also like gave me the validation that I was always seeking outside of myself through men or through even through my work like it gave me that validation at home you know and it gave me that validation with the family you know my family that's always been there for me since I was a baby you know since I was born you know and that's that validation runs so much deeper and I think that's what has really like helped me to be grounded and feel grounded in my womanhood right now. So maybe I would have had that experience if I would have, you know, it would have just happened earlier if I was 16 and transitioned, maybe I would have had that then. I don't know, you know, but I know that it's, it's not safe for us still, 
And I know that a lot of trans girls don't have the same uh, blessing from their family and the same, you know, sort of guidance and things like that. So I, I really just feel grateful to have that. Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. being a woman's hard. (laughs) It is hard. Yeah. And like, you need your mom, you know, it's like, it's like, it's a certain connection that, you know, you have um, when you're a woman and like your mom is there to listen through this, through, you know, to work through the things that you're going through and to listen to your issues and your problems as a woman, like it's a special bond that you develop, like, you know, the mother daughter bond. Mm -hmm. And so I was able to have, I was able to have that bond with my mom because she was so willing to, to give me that opportunity, you know? Yeah. But if kids don't, that's right. Like if a kid didn't have that, then that would be really hard. Yeah. Or like, Mm -hmm. you know, it, it is, it's hard. It's like, because it's like part of being a woman is being objectified. Mm-hmm. Sadly, you know what and I mean? And then having the tools that you need to work through that. And like, I feel like, you know, like my mom, my aunt, my grandmother, my sister, my girl cousins, that everybody that's older than me, that like clearly has been a woman their whole life, you know, like has the, 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 the tool book, you know, that I needed. And, and I have that information now. So so yeah. What's advice that, like not to get tic tac lungy with you? <laughs> what like what is advice that you would give your younger self? Um, I would give my younger self. I would say to like chill out, <laughs> to chill out a little bit, like chill out, and also learn how to feel things. You know, because I feel like a lot of my young adulthood, I was trying to avoid my feelings and avoid my emotions and avoid any type of bad experiences Mm -hmm. and you know although it might have been the fuel that I needed to succeed it was also the healing work that I needed to do later on in life like I could have done that early on had I been a little bit more um, emotionally available Mm -hmm. and I don't think it has anything to do with like testosterone or estrogen or anything like that I think it has more to do with just not wanting to fail you know So I kind of, I would give, I would try to give my younger self the advice of being more vulnerable and allowing myself to express full transparency of my emotions and my thoughts that I was, you know, whatever I was going through. I always wanted to be the strong one. I always wanted to be the one that knew what was going to happen and knew what to do in any situation. And I was that for my drag family. However, I never showed any vulnerability and I feel like it would have helped create a tighter bond with some of the people back then. Cause I mean, some people died already, you know, like, and so I kind of wish I would, I would have been able to, to have a closer connection, you know, but how do you learn to be more vulnerable? I think it just starts with um, accepting all of my flaws and um, being retrospective, not, just to judge myself and not to just, you know, um, push myself, but to also like understand who I am and how I think versus who I want to be or what I want in life. And I think it starts there. And then from there is having the confidence to now vocalize that and share that with people because sometimes people only see the like finished product that's like polished and beautiful, but they don't know all of the work that went into it. So then they take it for granted. You know, so it's, they kind of think, oh, well, you know, you make it look so easy, you know? And so it's hard for people to connect with you and to relate to you. And if they're inspired by you, it's hard for them to actually apply that inspiration in their real life because they don't know what your thought process is. So, you know, I do believe in, you know, not obviously not being too vulnerable because that's also a thing, but being vulnerable. Yeah, I'm either too vulnerable or not vulnerable. Yeah. You can't be too, too vulnerable because then you're doing yourself a disservice. I really think that there's something to say about, you know, working on your own issues yourself and, and, you know, keeping certain things private, obviously, but you know, you also cannot be like too closed off because then you come off as like a little bit arrogant or just disconnected and like out of touch, out of reach. And that's not who I am at all, you know, but it's, it's something that, you know, requires you to like practice. It's, you know, you just have to be willing to share certain things at the right time with the right people. 
You're a bad bitch. (laughs) (laughs) What's been the most, what's the most memorable moment of your career and what do you still want to achieve? Like best, like, yeah, I wanted like your favorite moment of your career. There's been a lot. So that's why I'm like curious which one you'll say. Um, gosh, I don't even know. I think my best moment in my career was being able to go to Lifeball. I was, I walked um, for Jean-Paul Gaultier and he did my fitting and it was just like a dream. And I had all these designers sending me stuff. Also like the Steven Mizell shoot, the showgirl shoot for W was really big for me. And just that whole period of time was something special because I I had access to what most people have access to when they're like a star in mainstream, you know, where you have like, you're meeting all these other celebrities, you know, and you have, have that access, you know, like I, I had that, I mean, I still have it, but it's just different now because I feel like the topic is less nuanced. Like there's so many trans girls now there's so it's like, it's different now. But back then I felt like I was in like uncharted territory. So there was something that was like, I felt very close to God too. Like I was really, really just grateful. I, I'm thankful that I wasn't like a jerk, you know? Like, no, you could have become a monster, Carmen. <laughs> no, totally, totally. But I wasn't, you know, like I I, I really wasn't. And, and I truly enjoyed every second of that. And then I think like walking New York Fashion Week for the first time was was pretty, was like a highlight for me. Um, and then what I want to achieve, honestly, I don't know if it's bad to say, but like, I, I would like to walk the Victoria's Secret fashion show. I really, really would. I, I just mean, don't. You have to. I want to. I mean, I would love to, but I just, I don't know if that's, you know, again, it, it goes back to what we were saying. Like when you're the first person to like have like a, a different view or a different opinion, you know, like you get the worst kind of treatment and like. That's why I feel like, you know, I don't know if they're ready for that yet. But I mean, there's other options. There's like maybe Sports Illustrated, I you know, would be cool. But what I really, really want is probably to to, to walk Victoria's Secret. Like that's definitely. And I would want to do it just for the, just to put that, that whole thing, like to give it a happy ending, you know, a happy storybook ending, you know, that it actually did work out. Because I think a lot of the fans wanted that, you know, it was what put me like, in a whole different category of like mainstream and and just exposure and stuff. Like it just did a lot for everyone. So that would be cool. And I also want to write a book, a memoir. Uh, I think it's time. I know it might be time. We're in our our like later thirties. Like, you know, I have a lot of secrets. Oh my God. Will you tell us one? Yeah. Well, not right now, but you have to wait for the book, but just like, you know, it, it's going to be kind of like a tell-all. Okay. So we're going to hear some tea. Some juicy tea about a lot of... When I was, Listen, let me tell you something. There was a whole year that I spent out here in LA mm-hmm. where I was very like stealthy vibes and I was living in a house full of girls and we would be up in Hidden Hills and we would be up in those houses and nobody knew my tea and we were like around all the Chris Browns and all the Tristan Thompsons and all the mm-hmm. people... And, you know, living my, like, best LA girl life. I mean, come on. Like, you you live here, so you know exactly what I'm talking about. Like, I was running in those circles for, for a little bit. So, I have stories. All of those. I think, <laughs> I, people, I think people would be surprised to find out that you're a prankster. Oh, my God. I am. Yeah, I am. Like, Carmen's, like, a huge prankster. Like, she loves to fool people. We were just in New York City together for the Marco Marco show. And she brought a fart machine around and the TikTok is so funny. So go to Carmen's TikTok if you haven't already and watched it, watch it. But it was so funny. But like, I know that about you, but I think like, yeah, you're one of those people that people just assume they're like, like just beautiful and like, doesn't like, like, I don't know. Like I, when I look at you, like, I don't look like you surprise me when you do pranks or like do jokes because you do, you give off this, like, I don't know pretty good yeah I like to you know I like to make people laugh I remember when I had a roommate back when I was living in Jersey like I would hide in the closet till she got home and I would jump out of the closet stuff like that like scare I like to scare people I love to do the fart pranks and I like to fart in real life obviously because that was the thing on Drag Race was I I the first queen to ever fart on camera I think I was 
Um, and that's definitely rooms, on my list of achievements. That's <laughs> those rooms back in the day, y'all. They were like an office, like like an abandoned office. And so, like the gold, mm-hmm. the interior illusions lounge was like this room that they transformed into into mm-hmm. it. And so the room was so small. So when you farted, like. <laughs> And I would sit outside the door and I heard it. It was that loud. It's um, because all they were giving us was like Del Taco, like almost every other day. Like, oh, guys, we're having Del Taco again. Like it was like one of the only options that we would have all the time. And my stomach was not used to like all the Mexican food out here in L.A. Mm-hmm. Like I'm from New York. So we, you know, eat other stuff like cheeseburgers and stuff like that. Like we weren't used to um, a lot of El Pollo Loco too. There was a lot oh, of El Pollo Loco. That's that. Maybe that was the one. It was, I haven't eaten like El Pollo Loco is what I associate with drag race. Cause I feel like I ate that so much, like so yeah. much. Oh my God. Carmen also like, weren't you the one that would, was stealing the vodka from the room? I sure was. So basically the same room that we would film interior illusions, like, or film untucked was the room that we would go into to get mic'd up before we go into the workroom. And they would obviously decorate the whole lounge with like bottles of absolute. Nobody was keeping count of them, I guess. And so what I would do is I would take the bottles the night before and I would put it under the couch because it was the same couch that we would sit on. And, and, but obviously they would take out all the alcohol every night. And yeah, and so we've come the next day and <laughs> mind you, like Raja was in on it. So was Manila. I don't think Delta was in on it because I think she was more like, don't do anything bad. Like well, we were just being bad girls. And we came in the next day because they saw me put it away because I they better not just put the blame on me because they were accomplices and they saw me put the bottle away. And then the next morning I came up and I was like, in there like I remember this clearly and we were all giggling the entire time because we knew that our bottle of liquor was there and yeah and like every morning we would just fill up an empty like coca-cola can or sprite can and we'd fill it up as much as we could of the liquor and we'd walk into the workroom like anytime that you see us walking into the workroom with a sprite can or pepsi can there's alcohol in it okay 100% if you go back to season three anytime that you would see us walking in Okay. And then what I would do is I would spike everyone's Coca-Cola or I would just like throw some in there and we would just be like drinking, like while we're getting ready for the challenges or filming in the workroom, we'd be getting drunk, <laughs> not drunk, but like buzz. No, we were 25. You could drink like a bottle of vodka and be fine at 25. Now like a sip of yeah. tequila. And I'm like, I'm ready to go home. But I remember one day it was like a dark day and I got a call from the overnight from the, one of the PAs. And he was like, Chanel, I think you should come to the hotel. Like, the queens are really drunk. And I was like, how are they drunk? Did you get them alcohol? And and the guy, he was like, I don't know. And I was like, I like, I remember like asking one of the like EPs, like, can I, like, the queens are drunk. Do you like, I should go to the like hotel and da da da, like a babysitter. And I got mm-hmm. there and you guys were all drunk in that jacuzzi. And. Yeah. <laughs> Someone was like Carmen stole absolute from set. And then after that day, there was like no more absolute in the interior losing lounge. I know. I know. Oopsie. Sorry. But we're so crafty. So I think crafty. that's great, It's such a good story. And it's been so long that like, I feel like the fans need to hear it. What do you have any upcoming projects you want to promote or anything like that? Nothing I can promote just yet. Like I said, like I'm here. That's why I'm in LA now. I'm like shooting things and, you know, working on some new projects. So yeah, nothing just yet, but I'll keep you guys posted. If you follow me on my social media and stuff, I will let you guys know. I think I have a couple of shows coming up like performances in January, I'm going to Texas. And in November, I'll be at the Oasis in um, San Francisco. So kind of just like, you know, kind of working, but like, it won't be out there just yet. So I'm going to focus on doing some shows here and there. And, you know, see the people. I love I still love doing shows. I don't think that's ever going to leave. Like, I, I, I absolutely love the mystery. And I love the whole like, you know, getting into character and stuff. It's it's my first love. It's my first passion. So it's hopefully something I'm able to do for a really long time. That's why I work out so much. Cause I'm like trying to keep it tight and keep it right. I feel like if I don't work out for like a week, I feel like I'm all out of shape all over again. I'm like, gosh, I have to like really be consistent with this. 
getting harder. I remember you were like the first person, like I remember you touched my arm one day and you were like, it's so soft. And I was like always so insecure about my arms. And I was like, what do you mean? And you were like, no, like you're soft like a woman is what you told me. And look, I never forgot it. And I was like, (laughs) Carmen like loved my softness. Like you would be like, I love like, like the, like your soft body. (laughs) Of course. Like we have to understand something like, I can't speak for every trans person, but for me, before my transition as a kid, I was always like, I wanted to be a girl. So like, I just love like, you know, women who, you know, weren't afraid to be feminine, you know, and would like really enjoy being feminine and be creative with their femininity, with their perfumes or their makeup and, you know, all those things. Like I was such like a fan, you know, growing up. Cause I'm like, that's what I want. You know, it's like any little girl that like watches like her big sister or like her older cousin, like just slay, you know, it's like, you just like, yes, like I want that. Well, and that's what all of you were to me too. It was like, it was a really weird time because I was learning so much from, from you all about being a woman as well. Oh. You know what I mean? Like I really did find my womanhood in, in y'all. And, and like, I even remember one of my first Avitas, you let me wear your, your like iconic, I can't even believe I got to wear this cause I would die to wear it again. But it oh, was like the bodysuit. The Carmen Carrera bodysuit. I have a picture. Yes. Um, you know, somebody stole that. Somebody stole that. I have no idea where it is. We have got to get Marco Marco to make you another one. I know. Like remake it or something. Cause that, uh, girl, somebody yeah. stole it. No it's idea. the best. You're just, your but it's just a, a nude bodysuit that like all the right parts are covered in crystals. And it was like, yeah. Oh, and I would, and honestly, the bun really was inspired. You and Sasha Colby always. Oh had- yeah. You two were like the updo queens and I was, and like, I remember when I was like figuring out my look, uh, like that's what was like totally inspired me. And I would always wear the bun and people would always call me Carmen. Like I remember that drag race cruise, that drag race cruise, you weren't on it. But so everyone like throughout, like I would hear from across the cruise ship, like Carmen. And I'd be like, nope, it's just me. That is so funny. I remember that. And then when you got you got your breasts done, mm-hmm. and people were like, ah, Carmen's boobs. <laughs> exactly. I would say that. Oh no. Yeah. We were like, we it was like a sisterhood for sure. I remember oh. you were like, we could make a lot of money if we made a porn together. <laughs> That's right. There's still yeah. time. Okay, this was so fun. <laughs> did you have fun? Yeah, I did. Thank you so much. It made my night so much better because I'm here like my dogs are not here so I'm just like "Mm." I'm the same way like I don't look forward to a vacation if my dog's not gonna be there no same and I was actually just looking up like vacation spots I can take my dogs that would be like amazing like I just want to get them like I want to get I have two boys and a girl so I want to get the girl like a little swimsuit outfit and like get the boys like these little bucket hats I was looking at literally looking into it like a couple hours ago Oh my God. Yeah. Pictures. I love you. Tell me to shut up before. I love you too. Shut up, Chanel. It's over. (laughs) Over. All right. Have a good night. I love you so much. Call me as soon as you get back to LA. Okay. Yeah, I will. I will. All right. I love you.